everyone today? Good, good. Are you ready for Christmas? Rachel just mentioned we're eight days away. Are you ready? Who feels prepared? All right. Um, okay. My, so not very many of you. Um, my, my wife informed me the other day that all of our Christmas shopping is done already. And uh, she even said, I've gotten her some wonderful gifts this year. And so I said, well, what did I get you? And she goes, well, you have to wait for Christmas and I'll show you. So anyway, I, I think I'm in good shape too. Um, I don't know. Uh, but hey, we are continuing our Christmas series called The Arrival. And this series is all about what Jesus brought to earth and made available to each and every one of us when he arrived in the town of Bethlehem um, a little over 2,000 years ago. And I appreciate Pastor Mario last week kicking off our series by speaking about the arrival of joy. And Jesus certainly brought that, didn't he? I mean, what did the angel say when, when, when he made the announcements? I bring you good news of great joy. That's right. Good news of great joy. So there was joy that accompanied the birth of the Messiah. And, and this good news is unmatched of any kind of, of news that we could receive. And, and it extends even to us today. I consider it one of life's great honors to have stood in the area near Bethlehem um, in Israel known as the Shepherd's Fields. This is the area, or this general area, is where it is believed that the angel that night made this great announcement that I bring you good news of great joy. There were shepherds there. They're watching their, their flocks by, by night. And I'll tell you, there, there's, there's a number of very special places in the Holy Land. But this place, the Shepherd's Field, really connected with me because it really this is the greatest announcement that has ever been made happened right in that area where we were standing. So the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy. And then we learned that the, that angel was joined by a multitude of angels um, singing praises to God. And as soon as they had left, these shepherds, the Bible says they hurried to find this baby. Because the angel said, go to the town of David, which is Bethlehem, and you're going to find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And so these shepherds ran, it was a distance of about two miles from these fields to the place or the area where Jesus was born, it's about two miles away, not very far. Even somebody like me could have made it there, but it was all uphill. If you've ever been there, it's been a little struggle, but I would have made it. And, 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 and so they see this child. They were among the first humans to have the privilege of laying eyes on the incarnation of God. God with us right there. These shepherds, they left and they told everybody. The Bible says that people were amazed that they listened as they listened to the shepherds talk about the angels, the announcements, and the baby. And people were, were amazed. So when Jesus arrived, he brought joy. And that joy has been extending out from that moment even to us today. Well, well, today, though, I want to talk about something else that came with Jesus on his arrival, and that something else I want to talk about would be this, peace. Turn to your neighbor and just say that word, would you? Peace, peace. Now, turn to the other and say, peace. Now, that word just sounds good, doesn't it? Anybody looking for a little bit more peace? I mean, from the Old Testament prophecies to the angel's announcement that Jesus was coming all the way to the very words that Jesus said about himself. The Bible clearly communicates that Jesus brought with him this idea of peace. Now, you don't have to turn there right now. You can look at the screen. But one of the most famous 
prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And even if you've never read this before, you've probably heard these words before. It says this, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he is, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what else? Prince of Peace. That's right. There was this understanding way back when, when the predictions of the Messiah were being made that this one that was to come, this, this Savior from God, he would bring with him peace. Now, the Hebrew word in, in the Bible for peace is a very familiar word to us even in English. You, many of you know what it is. Let me tell you, it is shalom. Shalom. We've heard this word before. In the Old Testament, shalom is the most prominent word for peace that there is. It's used many, many times, and it's used in many different kinds of contexts, and different kinds of connotations can be associated with. This word shalom can, can mean peace, obviously, but it means wholeness, well-being. It can mean salvation. It's used in different contexts. It can refer to somebody who is at peace. It can refer to peace between two individuals. It can refer to peace between two nations. It even talks about peace with God. This word shalom is, is all-encompassing, and it's all over the, the pages of the Old Testament. So Jesus, this coming Messiah, he would be the prince of shalom. Now that word prince comes from a Hebrew word called sar, and that gets translated in the Bible as prince. It can also be translated as ruler or leader or captain. It holds this idea uh, of a leader type figure. So a prince who would be king is a good um, a translation of what the prophet was saying. So this child to come, this this Messiah, the Prince of Peace, he would be the one heading the way, leading the charge, and he would be bringing with him the wholeness and well-being and salvation and, and peace. This is what the prophets foretold. It's also what the angel announced. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, we see the angel announced the, that this one to come, this Prince of Peace, had arrived. And, and what does this angel say in verse 14? Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So you have this angel echoing the words of the prophet that this one to come, this one that now has arrived, is going to be about the work of peace. And what is it that Jesus said about him, his very self? In, in John chapter 14, verse 27, he told his disciples before he went to the cross, he said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you you peace it sounds good doesn't it peace especially during this season christmas time when life can be anything but peaceful can i get an amen amen you know don't you find it a little bit ironic that during the time of year where we focus our energy and celebrate the coming of the Prince of Peace, we do it in the most unpeaceful ways we can imagine. And just think about it. Christmas tends to be that time where, where stress can, can be heightened for sure. It's a very non-peaceful season. Anybody in here responsible for planning your family gathering this Christmas? How peaceful is that? How about, uh, it seems like this time of year, uh, there's an increase in school activities. 
There's an increase in expectations. There's an increase, it feels like, in, in commitments and all other kinds. This is the time of year where it seems like there's more traffic than any other time of year. Or am I just the only one seeing this stuff sitting in traffic all the time? People getting in and out of stores and like, I just want to get some milk and I got to stand in line for an hour and a half. Not quite that bad. Stress. Non-peaceful season. It doesn't help that the weather seems colder. People seem less patient this time of year. And how many of you, without the show of hands, are feeling the financial non-peace right now? The pressure mounts of trying to provide gifts and do all these things, these commitments and expectations, and you want to be this way. You don't know if the checkbook can match it. And well, I tell you, we celebrate the Prince of Peace in the most non-peaceful ways that we can imagine. Some of you I know are worried this year because there's not harmony, there's not peace in your family and your home is about to be full. Peace. But is that the same kind of peace that the Bible's talking about? When the angel said, you know, peace on earth to those whom his favor rests. When Jesus said, peace I leave with you, peace I give you. When the prophet said, the prince of peace, are we talking about the same kind of peace? Now this isn't a trick question, but when the question is asked, what is peace, how do you define it? Well, what comes to your mind when the word peace is uttered? I did this little exercise um, when I was working on this sermon um, um, over the last week or so. I thought, Joe, how do you define peace? I talk to myself a lot when I work on sermons, by the way. So, Joe, how do you define peace? What, what images come to mind? I kid you not. I kind of closed my eyes and I just thought for a minute, what is peace? And the very first image, the very first idea that popped into my mind is probably represented in this picture right here. All right? Yeah. I thought about hippies. You know, flower power, peace, you know. And, and I, thought, I began to think, my mind wandered, like, how many people in our church used to be hippies? And I'm wondering, I'm looking out here, are there any former hippies? Every service, somebody's like, not only former, but I still am. I just don't have the hair anymore. You know, anyway, I, I don't know. The first thought that came to my mind was hippies, flower power, this idea of peace. Maybe that's not the first thing that comes to your mind. Maybe you thought peace looked something more like this picture. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., a peaceful protest. Maybe this th thought comes to your mind. Peace is the absence of, con absence of conflict. So maybe two former enemies coming together in peace. We saw this happen a few months ago. The leader of North Korea and the leader of South Korea coming together at the border for the first time and extending a handshake of peace. And, uh, you know, we'll see how long that lasts. But peace. Uh, did anybody think of our Native American um, ancestors? They used to smoke what? A peace pipe. Hopefully when I thought of peace, none of you thought about smoking anything. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know how you define peace. And so, peace pipe. May, maybe you thought of, of this picture. Maybe the peace core. Or maybe you thought about a peace offering. Have you ever had to go to somebody and say, I'm so sorry, and you extend some kind of peace offering. If you're looking for an idea, a bag of candy with the peace sign is a pretty good peace offering. That stuff works for me. And so, you know, <laughs> peace. Maybe you thought of our law enforcement, peace officers. I, I don't know 
what comes to your mind when we think about peace. But the question that kind of hovers over it is that is this the kind of peace that the, the prophets foretold and the angel announced and Jesus said about himself? I would answer that question this way. Yes, in part, but not exactly. Is, is our idea of peace what Jesus brought? Yes, kind of, but not exactly. Because you see the peace that came with the Lord, this Prince of Peace idea, this peace I give you, this peace I leave with you, this peace that rests on you, that kind of peace is none other than this, peace with God. That's what Jesus brought. Now, I would say that all other kinds of peace stems from that, and real peace comes from peace with God. But what the Savior brought upon his arrival in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago was this ability that you and I now have to be at complete peace with God, to be in this complete, conflict-free, guilt-free, I know I'm saved, peace with God. That's what Jesus brought. What Jesus brought was that peace with God that allows us to walk around each and every day of our lives knowing that if today was my last day on earth, that God and I are good and that upon my death, I will in the blink of an eye be in the presence of God in heaven with everyone else who's believed before me and we'll be together. That's peace with God. What Jesus brought is his peace with God that lets me know that everything is going to be okay. And it may seem like our world is falling apart around us, but I know that I'm okay because I am God's child and he loves me and he has my best interest in mind and nothing escapes his notice, not one single detail. Peace with God. What Jesus brought was a peace with God that allows you and me to wake up every single day of our lives knowing that God is in control and I can trust him completely with everything. That's the peace that Jesus brought. And my question for you is, do you have it? Do you have that peace? Are you at peace with God? The only way you can have that kind of peace is through his son, Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' arrival that ushers in that kind of peace with God. Without Jesus, there is no peace with God. Now, how can I stand up here today and say that so confidently? Well, for one, it's all over the pages of the Bible. Let me show you. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. You're welcome to turn there if you can be quick, um, but it's going to be on the screen behind me. Paul was talking to the church, and this is what he said about it. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have, what, peace with God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's just analyze this verse. This is one of those verses that we should all commit to memory. He said, Paul said, since we have been, this word that a lot of times goes misunderstood, since we have been justified... That's not a confusing word. It shouldn't be. That word justified literally means this, made right. Okay? Made righteous. Since we have been made right. How? Through 
faith. Faith in what? Faith in Jesus Christ. So it's like, it's like say this, since we have been made right in God's eyes because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we have as a result of that peace with God. That's what Paul is trying to communicate. That Jesus is the key. Now, look down a couple verses more, down to verse 8 of that same chapter, of chapter 5. And this is what Paul says. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we, for while we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, that just means coming back together in harmony. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now there's a phrase that Paul uses in these few verses that's very telling. He says, while we were enemies of God, do you realize that we are enemies of God if we're not in God's family? When sin reigns in our life and we have not surrendered to our Heavenly Father, we have not made peace with God. If, if we have not made peace with God, we are actually God's enemy. And it makes sense to think about it that way because if you consider somebody in this world your enemy, it's because there is an absence of peace in your relationship. And that, that's why they're an enemy. There's no harmony. There's no reconciliation. So Paul's acknowledging that, that we were once enemies of God. We were outside of peace. But what changed that? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross. So we are now made righteous through our faith in Christ. And the result is we are now peace with God. He is no longer an enemy. We are reconciled to him. Now Paul elaborates on this some more in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 19. He says... For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Who's the him? Jesus. So God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell right inside Jesus Christ. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And then what's the result? By making peace through what? His blood shed on the cross. Now, this kind of language is all over the pages of, of the Bible. And there's so much it has to say about it. But, but, but what we just read points to this truth. That peace with God is the birthright of every single believer. And just think this through with me. It's peace with God. In other words, I'm not God's enemy. We've been brought together in harmony and peace. Peace with God is the birthright of every believer. If you are a child of God, and I would say if you have been born again, with that rebirth comes a birthright. And that means I, me and God, we're no longer enemies. We are um, in harmony. We are at peace. I am God's child. I, I am going to heaven if I were to die today. I am saved. I am sanctified. My sins are forgiven. All of these things. The birthright that comes with you being a believer, a child of God, is that you have peace with God. And how do you maintain this peace? Because just like in real life, peace has to be maintained. How do you maintain this peace with God? It's maintained through a very close relationship with our Heavenly Father. 
So we continue to pray. We continue to learn. We continue to grow. We stick with the fellowship of believers. We walk with him daily. We deny ourselves, take up our cross. All of that maintains this very close relationship with our Heavenly Father, which pushes us even more to this peace with God. You know, stated or unstated, I think peace is truly what people desire in this world. They may not acknowledge it, but I really think at the end of the day, peace is what people want. Peace in their families, peace in their finances, peace on the job, peace about past mistakes, peace about present circumstances, peace about future dreams and goals. That's what people really want. And oftentimes, people will search for that peace in all the wrong places. It's very common for people to search for that peace in other people. So people will, you, you see it, people will bounce from one relationship to the next thinking that this person is responsible for peace in my life. Sometimes we look to our children to bring us that peace. Sometimes we look to a friend or a certain situation. This will certainly now bring peace. We wouldn't articulate it that way, but deep down that's really what we're seeking. And we're trying to find peace that can be brought by other people, and that just doesn't happen. We looked at this uh, quite a bit in our Too Much series, but sometimes people will look for peace through obtaining material things, especially during the Christmas season. I mean, we're like, what, it's like what we looked at in our Too Much series. It's the myth, the more. That the more that I can get, the more that I can save, the more that I can obtain, the happier I will be. And, and King Solomon was the first one in line to say, no, 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 no. That is a meaningless pursuit because those who desire to have more and more and more never have what? Enough. And so some of these pursuits and other people and things that we can acquire, and, and it, it actually leads us down a very non-peaceful road, roads of greed and, 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 and suffering and bondage. And, but that's, that's how the world thinks. We look for peace in all the wrong places. But I can tell you today, peace with God, that's the one you're looking for. Peace with God is what all these other non-peaceful things, how they get resolved. It all stems from peace with God. And as I think about what does the peace of God in our hearts, what does that help us get through? I can tell you that it helps us get through times of sickness, times of pressure, and times of hardship. That's what the peace of God helps us get through. Peace of God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, he said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. <clears throat> this idea is like the peace that you're looking for. It's in me. You come to me. And when you have the peace of God in your life, hardships, sickness, pressure, all of that stuff, still difficult to go through, but it's what helps get us through it. That I know that it's going to be okay. God is in control. God has me in his hands. I know we'll get through this. You know what else the peace of God helps us get through? Times of death and grief. The peace of God helps us get through times of death and grief. Jesus was talking to his disciples one time. He had just dropped the bomb on them. I'm going to die. And I'm going to go away. And they're all out of sorts about it. And Jesus said this in John 14, 1. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Friends, flat out, the peace of God in our lives helps us through times of death and grief. That's it. A number of years ago, when I was still a pastor up in Kansas City, I got a call one day. I've even told you the story before, but it's been a while. But I got a call from uh, a funeral home director at one of the local funeral homes in our area. And he just said, hey, he called me and said, hey, I, can you come over and do a funeral tomorrow? I said, I've got a family here. There, there's like no church, no affiliation. There's no religion. There's, there's nothing. And there's tension and things. And, and, and I've kind of talked them into having a pastor come and say a few words. Can you do it? And I said, sure, I'll be happy to do that. I, I, I hope you look at that, that, that kind of stuff as opportunities. You know, maybe God's putting you somewhere where he can use you. So that day I called the, the only person of contact in the family, which was the daughter of the deceased. And immediately from the second of, hello, my name is Joe Williams, and I'm the pastor at Sessions, wall went up. She did not want to talk to me. The only thing I could get from her about what the family desired for this service is this get it done quick so we can get out of there now i couldn't even begin to tell you what kind of tension i don't know anything about this family <coughs> so the day of the funeral i'm there there's about seven to ten people i don't recall exactly a small group of people we're there but there's no family showed and so we waited and about 20 minutes went by and the funeral home director finally was like you know we're gonna have to start and do something but then right about that time the family all walked in and what I think was happening I think they were hoping to just catch the tail end so they could say they were there I've um, I've had uh, the honor to do more funerals than I can remember as a pastor and I thank the good Lord that the majority of those funerals have been for believers who who have gone on into heaven and if you've ever been to the funeral of a Christian and the funeral of a non-Christian, you know that those two environments are like night and day, aren't they? So I'm doing this funeral, and I'm trying to shed some Jesus on the people that are there. Because that's my job. I don't preach to the dead person, I preach to the living people. I'm trying to bring Jesus into this conversation. And I remember asking the people there, because it was all left up to me, so I kind of got to decide what we did. And I said, would anybody like to say anything? Nobody stood up. And what seemed like hours, but it was probably just a few seconds of dead silence, finally somebody who had worked with this man years ago stood up and for about 30 to 45 seconds recalled some hobby that he enjoyed to do and sat down. That was it. There was a darkness hovering over that room. And it was thick, and it was heavy. And I remember when we were done, the family stood up, and they split as fast as they could go, just out of there. And I went home that day, and I was physically ill from this. I don't, I don't know what spiritual thing exactly was happening. Otherwise, I, I was like actually physically tormented because of the darkness that was in that place. I, can't, I haven't experienced that very often. I went home and told my wife that I don't feel good. I have been, I, I've been in a place that was kind of absence of anything holy. And it was just dark. 
I asked a friend of mine a few days later, another preacher friend of mine, and I told him about what I was experiencing physically and emotionally from that experience of darkness. And, and, I, and I, I remember saying this to him. I said, I don't know how people cope outside of the peace of God when it comes to these things. And he said something to me I've never forgotten. He said, that's an easy question to answer, Joe. They don't. There is no coping. And outside the peace of God, it's hard to cope with loss and death. And I can to this day, it stands one of the, the, the most darkest moments of depression and, and, and just a lack of, of godliness anywhere. It just and it affected me in a physical way. But when you have the peace of God in your life, when the, when the peace of God reigns in you, you can deal with death and grief completely different than those who don't have the peace of God. There's a lot of effects of God's peace in our lives. And just real quickly, I can tell you what some of the effects of God's peace are. God's peace in our lives allows us to be more forgiving. It really does. It doesn't make forgiveness any easier, but there's something in us that is uh, the ability to forgive when you have the peace of God that's just not there when you don't. I'm reminded in Acts chapter 7, we read about Stephen. He was one of the early Christians. He's the very first Christian to be put to death for his faith once the church started. And so how his death came about, people are pelting him with rocks. It was a horrible way to die. And right before his death, it says in Acts chapter 7 verse 60, he says he fell to his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Can you imagine the people who are your executioner and you're dying and your thoughts are, Lord, don't hold this against them. Forgive them for what they're doing. That's somebody who had the peace of God in his heart. You know what else it does? It helps us have an encouragement that can only come from the peace of God. There, there's an encouragement that is there. Let me show you something in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. There's, there's something about God's peace, God's comfort, God's encouragement that comes with his peace in your heart. It goes on to say, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. There's something about the peace of God that is encouraging. And there's comfort that overflows. That there's, it, it just How do you get through hard things without the peace of God in your heart? The peace of God also brings to us an effect is a, a fullness in life and joy. Jesus said this in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. There's a joy that comes with the peace of God. There's also a hope that comes with the peace of God. There's a hope that is non-existence outside of God's peace. It says in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's tremendous effects of God's peace in your heart for your life. And I think one of the best is this. Is that you have God's peace in your heart, then there is a final peace that outside of the Lord nobody can experience. I think the prophet Isaiah captured this well in Isaiah 57 too when he said this. Those who walk uprightly enter into peace they find rest as they lie in death. Peace 
at the end is directly related to peace with God during your life. There's a final peace that cannot be known without God. It's that peace that says, if my name is called up yonder today, I will be up yonder. So we celebrate this Christmas season, which is all about the Prince of Peace, and we tend to do it in the most non-peaceful ways possible. But I want to encourage you today to take time to consider the peace of God in your life, and I'd leave you this question, do you know God's peace? Billy Graham said this about Christmas. He said, Christmas is not a myth, it's not a tradition, and it's not a dream. It is a glorious reality. Do you know this glorious reality? Peace with God? It can be yours. Can I pray for you?